You know, it used to be before Bibles were shown on the screen and on everyone's phone, and I'm, I'm not knocking that, uh, being on a phone, but it used to be when you would start to, to speak, you'd hear that sound, this. Wait, see if I can do it. I don't know if you can hear that, but when it happened all through the room, you would hear that rustling of pages. And it was a great sound to someone who would preach because you would know, oh, they're looking, they want to see it there. And it's good for us as believers to know our Bible. I think something has actually been lost. Again, this isn't some hobby horse. Something has been lost when we only let it ever show up there because then in our Bible, we're not used to where it is. We're not used to finding anything. I think it, take, bring your Bible and mark texts. And if you have it on your phone, mark your phone. Get a sharp object and scratch it. No, I, I do something under there. You can leave bookmarks uh, when you have the phone on your, sorry, the Bible on your phone. Okay, I want to read uh, John chapter 17. And we're going to go up to verse... Uh, by a miracle, to verse 19 today. Um, we've been doing the first uh, five verses for a couple of weeks. Now we're going to just cover a, a theme, a couple of themes in this next section from verses 6 through 19. But I'm going to read it all right now. These things Jesus spoke, verse 1. And lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all mankind, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was." Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they were yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. While I was with them, sorry, while I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, I have gone over that passage. Because it's a prayer, I, you know, it's, it's challenging to read that and know exactly where the inflection is on certain things. Because, of course, the meaning changes depending how you speak that. So I've gone over it and over it and over it, and I believe that I have read it the inspired way that God meant it to be. Okay, sorry. And someone's looking at me. Is he serious? No, I'm not. But I've done my best to go over that because there are certain emphases that are that come out in the original languages, but there are also things in there where it's sort of guesswork. The, the, the emphasis that Jesus would have put on certain things changes the meaning subtly. But I want to ask you this today. When you pray, because this is a prayer of Jesus, the high priest, and he starts by saying the hour has come. This is the time that everything's been pointing to. And Jesus prays this. He's been talking to his disciples. He knows within maybe an hour or two, he's going to be arrested. He's going to suffer. And within 24 hours, he'll be gone. And the way he talks... I'm, I'm already out of the world. I've accomplished. Well, he hadn't actually accomplished, but he's praying with a confidence that this is a done deal. There's no way I'm turning back now. And he speaks this way to his disciples. And he says, I'm no longer in the world. Boy, it's like he had one foot out already. Even though in reality, the, the toughest part of it all, he was still about to go through. And again, in my view, Jesus just gets elevated more and more when I hear him pray the way he does right here. But when you pray, do you always expect that everything you prayed is a certainty? <laughs> I saw somebody shake their head. No, no, I don't. That's not a lack of faith. I mean, it can be a lack of faith at times that I pray and I throw it out there. And it's, there's one pastor we know from the Philippines. I haven't seen him for several years, but he, he told us at a men's retreat one time. He said he had been praying for people in this lineup and he said they got to the end of the thing and he had been standing there, he said, for an hour praying for people. And he was exhausted. He said, I have nothing left. He said this woman came up to him with her son and he had his one leg was all twisted and it, it didn't work right. And she brought this boy to him and he said, he just thought, God, I got nothing left. And I'm just going to, you know, kind of throw out a sort of obligation prayer. You know, God, <laughs> You know where I'm at, please. Just heal this boy. And that leg went straight. And the boy, he said, you know, after that, it's like, you know, I'll get tired all the time to see that happen. Yeah. You know, when he thought he had nothing left, he wasn't praying in faith, according to him. Although then again, it's like, God, I'm tired. Yeah. 
you're the need of the situation. You know, I, I'm not strong in me anymore. I'm just weak. And he offered that prayer and God did it. More and more of that. Amen. I want a lot more of it. But when we pray, we don't always have certainty. Have you ever been disappointed that something you prayed seemingly with faith didn't materialize? <laughs> of course. Do you ever feel like nothing you pray ever materializes? Sometimes I have felt that way, and I think probably many of us, but that's just the lying voice of discouragement trying to convince us that God has forgotten us and forsaken us. He has not. Amen? Amen. Amen. Tell somebody, God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten you. Or forsaken you. Some answers have probably materialized, and we're just not paying attention. We're just not aware. Some of them, we've moved on, because because we're kind of fickle, we've probably moved on to other things, and we're not paying attention. Or it came to pass, and we didn't realize it till much later. That's happened to me. Something prayed. I didn't notice it. And then at some point, I realized, wait a minute. We prayed for that very thing. It happened. I mean, I wish always when I prayed, there'd be a great drum roll from heaven and, okay, John, I'm, I'm preparing to, to make it happen. And, you know, there's thunder and, you know, then it all takes place. And, and I know, you know, that would be good. But it doesn't always work that way. Um, I, you know, I'm focused on something else. And in fact, God sometimes doesn't answer because he knows that I asked for a fleshly reason, or it just was something that really didn't matter, and he mercifully says no, or it's almost like he disregards that prayer. I know people say God always answers prayer, but I don't think he always answers it with a yes or a no. I think sometimes it's like I ask him something stupid, and he maybe looks and sort of, yeah. You know, just like I'm not even going (laughs) to respond to that. I mean, you know. You don't know what you're saying right now, John. And, uh, you know, he, my, my dad would do that. There were certain things we would ask him, and you could see, we're not going to get an answer. <laughs> He's not going to dignify what I just asked with a yes or no. And we knew him well enough to not keep asking <laughs> because it just wasn't going to get an answer. Now, none of this is ever the case with Jesus' prayers. He's never disappointed. When he prays, the understanding of the circumstances and the needs is clear. Amen? He's always clear. The motives are pure, unlike us. The faith is absolute. He trusted the Father in everything. The timing is perceived perfectly. He's praying it, and he didn't have to see it this second. He would know what's taking place. This prayer is proof of that. He's speaking about his disciples in ways that are really quite glorious. He speaks about what he expects of them, what he desires for them, he speaks these kinds of things, and some of it, you think, hmm, in, by worldly measurements, he's got 11 pretty ordinary guys and a handful of women that are there that are all pretty ordinary and common people. 
And he speaks about them. I'm going to be glorified through them. And it's not because he got, you know, the elite and the very best of everything. So here's Jesus praying. What's the difference between his prayers and ours? All of those above things, pure motives, clear understanding of things, timing, understanding it, absolute faith. But it's also because he and the Father are perfectly one. They're perfectly in sync. He and the Father, and he says it through this prayer. It comes up a few times, and when we get to the last section, he talks about it again. They are perfectly one. What the Father desires, he desires. What the Father wills, he wills. What the Father wants done, Jesus wants done and does. All the way through, they're perfectly in sync. Sin never clouded Jesus' judgment. It never impeded his relationship with the Father, where he had to, you know, kind of hang his head for a moment because, okay, God, I'm coming back, you know, in repentance because I didn't know. It never was there that kind of a breach like there is with us. His mind was clear and his heart was pure, unlike us. That's the difference between him and us and his prayers and our prayers. But before we get disheartened, about how different he is and his prayers get answered from us and ours don't get answered. Let me say this. The prayer is all about us. He starts out, even in the first five verses, praying for himself. Father, glorify yourself. Uh, Glorify me and glorify me with yourself. And he prays these kinds of things for himself. But look at what it's all about. The people you've given me that I gave eternal life. That they may know you. It's all again about us. This middle section, verses 6 through 19, is all about us. The last section, verses 20 to 26, is all about more of, well, actually, it's truly about us. Those who have believed in him through the word of those, that initial group. It's about us. All of what Jesus is praying, John 17, all of what he's praying is about us. Us being reconciled to God the Father. Somebody say, thank God. So that we are in sync with him. That's his will, his desire. That's what this hour is about that Jesus comes to. Is making us in sync with him. Making us one with him. And he prays it and speaks it a number of times in this prayer. Us, sinners, One with God the Father. That's what he always wanted from the very beginning of creation. And here's the hour that that now is a possibility through Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus is praying for. The close relationship that he has with the Father, he's about to make available to you and me. That we can have that kind of oneness with God. Really. I can have a relationship with God the Father like Jesus. Yes. That's what this is about. That's almost too good to believe. That's the word speaking right now. (laughs) I like it. That's God saying amen. This is true. Remember, Jesus is praying for this. And Jesus gets what he prays for. He's praying for you and me to be one with him. Somebody say, praise God. It's okay. That's what Jesus is praying for, and he gets his prayers answered. So I'm standing right now in faith, 
believing that what Jesus has prayed is going to materialize in my life and yours. Okay, now there's no way I'm going to get through all of this, but let's, let's look at uh, this again. Verses 1 to 5. Jesus prays in the first five verses for himself, kind of. But he's also praying for us to have eternal life through him, through knowing him. You know, this is the only place in verse uh, 3 where it says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That is the only place that Jesus calls himself the Christ. That he actually says it. Now, the woman at the well back in John chapter 4, she says, oh, Messiah is coming. And he says, I who am speaking to you, that's me. But he doesn't actually say the words. But this is the only place where Jesus calls himself Jesus, Jesus the Christ or Jesus Messiah. He actually says those words. I think it's interesting that he never says it out directly to people. Okay, everybody, I'm the Christ. He doesn't say it like that. But when he's talking to God the Father, there's absolute clarity of this is why you sent me to be the Christ. That's me. And he refers, he says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, whom you have sent. He's absolutely clear. And he can speak like that to the Father because he, he knows it. He knows this is where, this is what the Father sent him to do, is to be the Messiah. Before the world was, Jesus had this perfect love relationship with the Father. And he says, in verse 5, glorify me together with yourself, Father, with the glory I had with you before the world was. I had glory, beauty, resplendence, this perfection, the perfection they had, Father, Son, and Spirit, of perfect love and relationship and fellowship. No division whatsoever. They, he lived in glory. Now he's come to earth after, after creation. God created uh, humans in his own likeness, in his own image. There was a glory there in creation, the beauty of creation. God's glory is seen all throughout it. it again, it even says so in the Psalms, the stars are telling of the glory of God. The creation is showing his glory. So we know there's that. Then, we disobeyed. Adam and Eve rebelled against the commandment of God. Sin came in, destroyed their oneness, their relationship with the Father, and deadened their souls. Spiritually dead race. Now, finally, we've come to the hour where that is about to be addressed for good. Where humans can now have an alive spirit, a spirit alive to the source of life again. So here's Jesus. He comes to this moment. Now he's also going to have added to him the glory of having laid down his life for us. So he returns to heaven to the glory he had with the Father before the world was. But there's also this added element of glory that is like, Ah, the Son of God. You look at it in uh, the book of Revelation. No one could open the book. No one could take care of things. But, oh, wait, don't worry. 
don't, don't weep. There's the Lamb of God who was found worthy. And he's done it. And the Lamb who appeared as if he'd been slain. He's got extra glory, which seems like a reversal of how things ought to work. Because he's a, a lamb that looks like he's been slain. A bloodied lamb. That's the glorious one? Yeah, in the same way that we were looking at this image up here of red poppies and we remember these soldiers and part of the glory of our forebears is that they laid down their lives so we could be free. Imagine. Nigel is 21. Nigel would have been prime age to be sent over, handed some kind of a weapon to defend our nation. Imagine that these kids would have been on a place like that, and even younger, would have been on a field of battle, and it's like they're there thinking, okay, well, if tyranny tyranny and oppression continue... My home is going to be overrun. So they now have the glory, these ones, we remember them with a degree of glory because they, they paid a price. Again, whether they died, were maimed, were, came back with some kind of mind-altering disorder because of the, the terrible things they, they witnessed, these people paid a price. I said, and I've told some of you have probably heard me say this, Back in the early 80s, for a couple of years, I drove a taxi in Edmonton. I picked up an old man in my cab, and he was going uh, to the doctor. And he had uh, this thing where his fingers, I don't quite know how this happens, but they were on a, such a, an angle from his hands and his, uh, uh, yeah, severe arthritis. His knuckles were such knobs. And he was, you know, like I looked at this and this guy was telling me about how he'd been in the war. And he was explaining how some of this stuff, he had spent days in um, a trench where it was wet. And they spent days soaking in that cold water. And it's like the alternative was, you know, go out of there and get shot. And they're in there. And I said to this old guy, <laughs> I'm so stupid. Uh, I, you know, I think I would, would have been mid-twenties, and I said to him, gee, I guess in that kind of a scenario, life seems pretty cheap. And he looked at me and he said, the exact opposite. He said, you, you realize how valuable it is. It, any second, it could be gone, and next to him... He's got others who've already lost their lives, and it's like, oh, yeah, what do I know? This, there's a glory when I look at somebody like that and many others who didn't make it back. So here's the Son of God added to the eternal glory he had before he came. Now is the glory as of a lamb that had been slain. Why? Because that price he paid was our redemption. It's like added glory. So forever, I come back to this place of Jesus. There's nothing you 
didn't do, your love went all the way to, to get us. There's nothing you held back. And so now, from the, that point on, this hour on, is Jesus has this extra glory in the world because we realize he laid down his life so we could have life. He didn't have to do it. He could have said, mm, they are a mess. But no, let them, let them go. He had, he had eternity. He didn't. But instead, he did this so that now we have life. He gave it to some of those young men and women who went onto foreign fields and laid down their lives. They, they could have, you know, what I'm sure some did desert. Some, you know, uh, didn't go for one reason or another. But we look and we add glory to them. They are made more glorious by what they have done. And here's Jesus. He's come to this place. He's paid this enormous price where the glory, uh, see if I can say this correctly, our freedom was costly, really costly. The glory of our veterans is consonant with the high price they paid. Jesus' glory is greater because of the price he paid for us. And our redeemed lives continue to bring him glory. They continue to bring him glory in the same way that someone goes to a doctor and they uh, properly, they rightly diagnose some condition and they take care of that person and the person is delivered from something that, oh, maybe everybody else missed it. This doctor recognizes it, treats it correctly. There's a, an element of glory now that that doctor has, Right. Hey, I, I suffered under this and this person recognized it and dealt with it and, and now I'm whole. Praise the Lord. And here's Jesus. He rightly knows, knew what was wrong with us, came, addressed it, and paid the ultimate price so that we could now live. So he gets more glory. More glory in the earth. And our redeemed lives continue to speak. To the glory of God. When we go places and we tell somebody, Jesus turned my life around. What do you mean by that? And we say what Jesus did for us. We're giving glory to him again. The son of God is glorified again and again. Now it's already, um, we've only got, let me see, 14 verses to go in uh, 60 seconds. So I'll tell you what. I'm going to leave it at that and <laughs> pick up on the remainder of this because I don't want to um, go over it quickly. But Father, I want to ask for the brothers and sisters in this room today. Those for whom you've given your life. Those for whom you paid everything. God, I pray for an open heart and for the reality of your sacrifice to be made real to us, to be planted in us. God, that when we don't immediately see our prayers answered, we wouldn't complain, grumble, 
and think, God, somehow you've forsaken us. But to remember that you've already shown, even as Romans 8 says, that God, if you were willing to give your son for us while we were enemies, what would you possibly withhold? I pray that you'd be glorified in our lives this week, God, as we remember what Jesus has done for us. As we remember the freedom, the wholeness, the life and vitality that we have and that we're offered and that we're promised more of. God, that we'd remember what you did to obtain that for us in Jesus' name. I pray you'd be glorified in your people this week, God. Be glorified in our thought lives, in our words, in our actions, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our pursuits, God. Be glorified in us, God. Even in this generation where it seems there's so much um, waywardness and so much that's going the opposite way. I pray you'd be glorified in us and make us dispensers of hope. To the world in Jesus' name. Thank you for it, God. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.